This is a production of Cornell University. From Cornell University's world-renowned Turfgrass program, I'm Frank Rossi. And I'm Carl Scamenti, and this is episode 18 of Turf Talk, brought to you in partnership with our friends at Winfield United. Turf Talk provides just-in-time, science-based recommendations for professional turfgrass managers in the Northeast U.S. Very similar to last week, Frank, it's raining in the Northeast uh, while we're recording this podcast. A lot of moisture expected. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the weather, what we've had, and what's coming up? Yeah, Carl, it, you know, it's it's sort of insult to injury in some ways. It's really got to be frustrating for a lot of guys. You know, I saw some tweets they, they were photographing the clouds and the rain coming with, you know, emojis mm-hmm. showing that, you know, their life is, feels like it's about to end. So it's it's uh, it's obviously really coming down to the wire here and the weather is not uh, cooperating. We have warmer than normal conditions. Um, we have persistent heat stress. And now, you know, the, the wet conditions only exacerbate everything. Now, the forecast is calling for some cooling, right? But not cooling that's measurable in turf stress. We're probably, you know, uh, still going to be close to widespread heat stress for sure along the I-95 corridor. Those heat stress conditions are going to continue. Of course, the persistent problems with that wet weather wreaking havoc, uh, both on the soil conditions, but we saw some pictures of scalding, right? Intense rainfall where the water sits on the surface, uh, it heats up. And the turf literally dies from the combination of anoxia and lethal temperature. So, you know, I, I don't know. We could sit here and lament about how rough a growing season it's been. We'll see the data at the end of the year. Certainly, the we're what I would call the eighth to ninth week of heat stress yeah. that we've been under persistently by our, you know, 150 model you know, 75 uh, degrees temperature, 75% humidity. Anytime that temp and humidity is over 150, it's just been off the charts, Carl. So obviously that creates a, a variety of other problems that we're going to talk about as we move forward. Yeah, you know, again, we sound like a broken record here, but diseases, weeds, uh, really going to be uh, coming on heavy in the coming weeks. What, what has Rich Buckley seen in the lab and what have you been seeing out there? Yeah, I think one of the things we hear from our extension field staff and our conference call every week, Carl, that you and I get a chuckle out is how great those crabgrass lawns look. (laughs) You know, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Mm -hmm. People are sort of not even noticing. They're like, oh, wow, I can mow my grass again because the rains came. And, you know, it's a classic condition of weather patterns that don't favor the cool season C3 grasses and do favor C4 grasses like corn. And you know out where we live, the corn is doing perfectly Mm -hmm. fine Mm -hmm. with all this heat and all this moisture. The corn and the farmers uh, will be doing well this year, which means the crabgrass is plentiful. Now, there was some interesting discussion. Should you go in and scalp and reseed? Might not be a bad idea. Right. It's not if you're going to get some cooling weather, it might not be the worst idea to consider renovating it immediately. And now with all the hubbub about Roundup paying Mm -hmm. out that three hundred million dollar lawsuit, man, this is a wow. So people don't even want to spray Roundup anymore. Uh, You know, some communities are going to start smelling like clove oil. (laughs) (laughs) But the reality is scalping that crabgrass down. Uh, maybe vertical mowing it in case it rooted on the nodes and then seeding into the soil would be perfect. Yeah. And as far as the other pests, Carl, you know, what we've been talking about, the stress-related diseases, the patches, 
uh, the patch diseases, anthracnose. But what I find still interesting is the persistent annual bluegrass weevil. We are still seeing feeding and damage really persisting through this second generation now, moving into third generation of adults. And if that's not a measure of warmth, of how an insect now can get through three hardy, we're about to get to our third hardy generation of ABW, into our third hardy generation. And we're still seeing damage because the turf is really stressed. So we can go on and on about this, but I think the key right now is for a lot of guys to start thinking about uh, air fine and calling it quits and saying, okay, <laughs> we might do it now so we can be recovered for Labor Day, but we can talk about that in the keys. Yeah, so again, in this week's key to success, I think it's still moisture management and keeping water off of this, uh, the playing surfaces as much as you can. You know, I got a chance to play a Rondecoy Country Club for the state amateur last week up in up in Rochester, and uh, I noticed a lot of really interesting things that uh, Frank Puccia and his crew are doing up there to keep moisture off the greens. And one of those was installing local drainage in the low fairways uh, that was able to keep them dry enough despite all the rain we had uh, to play the ball up. We didn't play left clean in place. Um, and you know, on his greens, those greens accepted a lot of moisture, and then when it got really heavy and there was standing water on the greens, uh, the Donald Ross greens with the movement they have just sheeted water right off. So uh, he got rid of moisture in the right places and, and was able to keep those high-value playing surfaces relatively firm for the amount of uh, moisture we got. And I think that's the key. I yeah. think the key to success is to get those to get the water off that surfaces. You have to move water. It's funny that we're having this conversation. I'm I'm currently out, out in the Pacific Northwest traveling, and I visited Sahali Country Club yesterday, and Tom Uskin out there, and just absolutely one of the great golf properties in the United States, the number one golf course in Washington. And Tom is just a number one sort of guy. And he has gone in there and really worked on the trees. But most importantly, he's the moving water off those surfaces. He's sanding everything, greens, tees, fairways, rough. It's just like Ireland out here. Mm -hmm. You have to have very sandy surfaces that you match the sand applications with your growth to keep those surfaces dry. Get the water off. They're easier to work. And they're a lot more pleasurable to play mm -hmm. when they're on the dry side. And so when you find those low spots, as you just said, Carl, I really like the idea of identifying localized drainage areas. We've seen some of our partners do that. Alan Hammond's mm -hmm. out uh, doing that at Skinny Atlas right yep. now, finding those low spots, putting in those drain lines, identifying those areas now. Because I promise you, this isn't the last year we're going to have mm -hmm. like this. So we might as well start to prepare ourselves moving forward. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I think a good way to transition into sage advice this week is moving from golf courses to athletic fields, right? Golf courses have been really struggling lately. The athletic fields, where there maybe hasn't been play for a couple months, should be doing good. What should we be uh, focusing on there? Yeah, unlike, unlike uh, golf courses and many high-traffic uh, facilities uh, that have received persistent traffic through the summer, and they might be sports fields too, but unlike uh, those places – these sports fields should be at peak condition right now. If you're not at peak condition going into your fall sports season, you need to look at the quality of your management. And so, Carl, I'm going to pitch it back to you here because you, uh, as our Cornell Turfgrass tweeter, did a beautiful little post this week on, on testing sports fields and getting some data. And we're always talking about data-driven sports turf management. Uh, let's start with simple things like walking the fields. Uh, you, you and I were talking earlier. What do you want to tell the guys right now who should have those fields in, in their ideal condition, what they should be doing to get them really ready for play? 
Yeah, certainly walking the fields, and especially with the coaches and maybe an athletic director who has an intimate knowledge of how a field is supposed to play, whether it's soccer or football or whatever sport it is. You know, I think we, we've uh, dealt enough with kind of the management of athletic surfaces to know that when a coach is trying to describe how he foots or how she turns on a surface, it's tough to really uh, internalize that unless you see it while you're walking a field with them. So I think it's a great idea for field managers, although they may get a lot of complaints from coaches, to go out and work with your coaches and walk the field, have them take one of the balls or a football and, and cleats and watch them move on the surface and play the surface and have them describe to you what, what they like in a playing surface, what they don't like. And then you can start using some of these tools, firmness meters, uh, torsion devices, uh, to t- kind of calibrate what they're telling you they want into numbers. That's exactly right. And that is the key that we are learning here as well, because we have been testing some of our fields but until you have those conversations, especially at the you know, Division One level we're at, but even at the scholastic level or the university level or even the municipal level, it doesn't take a big deal for a grounds guy to say, hey, let's have a coaches meeting. Everybody bring the balls out here. here tell us what you like and don't like, yeah. and we're going to do what we can and talk to you about how we can do it. I think this is part of the wonderful customer service aspects of this business, Carl, that I think we've lost a little bit. We've yeah. sort of we're personalities that don't like to chat with people and do these things. But I think you bringing this up right now was really key. So well done, young man, with the sage advice as we wrap it up for today. Yeah, well, thanks, Frank, as always, for joining us. Uh, thank you to the listeners as well for listening to our 2018 Turf Talk podcast series brought to you just in time by us at Cornell University and our friends at Winfield United. You can always find us online at turf.cows.cornell.edu and on Twitter and Facebook at Cornell Turf. As always, we'd love some feedback and encourage you to join the conversation by leaving a review or comment. For Turf Talk, I'm Carl Scamenti. And I'm Frank Rossi. Have a great week. This has been a production of Cornell University. On the web at cornell.edu.